following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. If you guys have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Looking at verses 1 through 19. If you don't have your Bibles, we do have um, the text up here on the screen for you. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the king of the, was the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him talent, ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent, him a, sent a messenger to him. Sorry. Elisha sent the messenger to him to, to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please, accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive one thing, your servant, for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, if he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. The passage is a little bit long, um, but it is all one story. Um, Before we dive into this this sermon today, I ask you all to bow your heads with me in prayer. Do you guys want to pray uh, your anointing over this word that um, it really would be your word that is preached today and not mine? 
that through the story of Naaman, that you would give us insight into um, who you are, who we are, how uh, sometimes we are looking for hope in all the wrong places, and how we have these certain expectations of how uh, you will work in our lives, and you shatter all of those to show your power and your greatness. And so, Father, we pray for our hearts that we'd be open and receptive to uh, this word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Naaman had everything going for him. He was well-built, well-respected, well-known, accomplished. Every woman wanted him, and every man wanted to be him. We learn all of this from the first verse of this passage. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master. He had a good reputation and highly regarded, even amongst the public. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram, he was a valiant soldier. But his description closes with this heartbreaking statement that says, But he had leprosy. Now, I don't know if anyone in our church has ever known anybody with leprosy, uh, because it's actually a relatively r- rare disease today. In America, it's, there are only about 100 new cases every year, and actually it's a curable disease at this point. Even worldwide, it's estimated that in 2016, there were about 175,000 cases all across the globe. So while we may learn about leprosy because of how much it comes up in the Bible, it's probably pretty safe to say that most of us have not seen or known or maybe will not see or know anybody who has or had leprosy. So I think for a lot of us, it might be helpful as we read this story to think about leprosy, uh, not just as leprosy, but to compare it to something like terminal cancer. Because unfortunately, I think most, if not all of us, even many of the little ones that are here in the sanctuary with us today, have known somebody who um, has, has gone through the terrors of cancer at some point. A leper was expected to die of leprosy. It could be sudden or it could be slow, but the diagnosis meant that for that person, the end was now in view. And I mention this because I think this will give us a better grasp of what it meant for the author to describe Naaman this way. He was a great man who had risen to the top, who had everything going for him, everything that the world had to offer, but he had terminal cancer. He had leprosy. Naaman was a great man, and he had accomplished much, and that actually made his, his greatness, actually made this diagnosis much harder to bear. He had so much to lose, and despite all that he had at his disposal, none of it could fix him. You can't be strong enough to beat leprosy. You can't be popular enough to beat leprosy, and you can't have enough money to cure leprosy. You can't have a great enough work ethic to beat leprosy. It just doesn't work that way. We can look at how Naaman is described and say that he was a made man. He had it all, but his leprosy took it all away from him. So maybe for the first time in a long time, Naaman had come to face, had to come to face his own humanity, how mortal he really was, how powerless he actually was over his own fate. And strangely enough, as it often works out in our lives, it's in this weakness, in his frailty, in his humanity, that the door is opened for God to begin to work. You see, when everything in life is going well and you're doing just fine on your own, there's nothing in us that will actually drive us to God. We'll not initiate with him. If I'm fully capable of accomplishing everything that I've ever sought out to do, everything I've ever dreamed of, and becoming exactly the kind of person that I wanted to become on my own, why would I want to share 
that glory with God? What reason do I have to go to him? But when the cracks in my armor start to show, they provide an opportunity for the spirit to begin to work. When man can't, God still can. If I were preaching in a black church, that's when people would start screaming amens, and that's right. But since we're mostly in an Asian church, I'll uh, just believe that you're saying that in your heart. But when we come to the ends of ourselves, God has given room to be able to work in our hearts. And Naaman had come to the end of himself. The evidence of how much this illness actually broke him is straight from the text. It says, um, so at this time, Israel was being attacked and defeated by Syria or Aram, the nation that Naaman was from. And one of these raids in Israel, the Syrians had carried off this little girl from the land of Israel, right? And this little girl was serving uh, Naaman's wife. Now think about what that really means. She was taken away from her family. Maybe her family had even been killed in front of her or they had been separated somehow. And she was a prisoner of war and dragged off from the land, from her land to the land of her enemies and forced to serve this commander's wife. But for whatever reason, this young girl, when she hears that her master Naaman had become leprous, she speaks up and says to him that there's still hope because there's a prophet in Samaria that would cure him if only Naaman would go and see him. What an amazing turn of events. This second most powerful man in the country is brought to his knees. It is in a desperate place because of this disease, leprosy. And in his despair, he finds a glimmer of hope in the most unexpected place, in the words of this little servant girl who was part of the spoils of one of his army's raids. In any other circumstance, he definitely would have paid this girl no mind. It would have been like, man, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Like, you, what do you know as this little girl from Israel? But because of his desperation, because nothing else had worked, he actually considers what she says. And he brings this information to the king of Syria. And the king says, okay, go. I'll write you a letter of recommendation. The king of, and his commander were acting on the advice of this little Israelite servant girl. So Naaman goes to Israel with the letter from the Syrian king in hand, with treasures loaded up in his caravan. And he goes and delivers the letter to the king of Israel. And it says one simple thing. He says, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now the reaction of King Joram, the king of Israel at that time, once again emphasizes just how hopeless Naaman's situation was. He doesn't take this seriously. He doesn't say, oh, like this guy is in need of help and we know that there's a healer in Israel and so he's desperate. He's come to see our best doctors, our best prophets. Instead, he's like, man, what is this guy doing? He's sending me a leper to be healed. Doesn't he understand that leprosy is not curable? There is no hope for this man. He literally takes that letter and he says, the king of Syria must just be doing this to pick a fight with me. He's just coming up with an excuse for why he can invade my land again. He knows that nobody can kill a leper. King Joram says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? And so he tears his robes as a sign of his grief, of his frustration, of his mourning over what he knows is going to be further invasions from Syria. But in the midst of this crazy hopelessness, 
even when the king of Israel, the king, could do nothing, because he was operating under man's power, Elisha sends a message to King Joram. Elisha the prophet says, Why have you torn your robes? Have, you, have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. And where there's a prophet, there's a God. The point was that if he came to Elisha, to this prophet, then Naaman would discover that there is a God in Israel who is able to heal even lepers. And notice that Elisha doesn't say to him, have the man come to me and he will know that there is a, uh, there is a healer in Israel. Or he doesn't say, have him come to me and you will know that there's somebody who's looking out for you and will make sure that nobody's going to invade Israel anymore. He says, have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. That's his agenda, that Naaman would come to know that there is a prophet and a God in Israel. God's goal in all of this is not just a physical healing of Naaman. It's not just to save a man's life because he was so valuable or so great. But God's agenda in this was to have Naaman come to know God. We have to keep that in mind as we read the rest of the story. So let's go to verse 9 where it says, Naaman is off again. He went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Now there are two big questions to ask in these verses. The first is, Elisha, why you got to be so rude, <laughs> right? The second is, Naaman, why are you so angry? And they're related. And the answer to the second question here is much more explicit in this passage than the answer to the first. Let's start there. Why was Naaman so angry? In raising my son Grayson, um, there's one thing that gets me more angry than anything else. And this happens so often that I should have a picture of it, but I think I just get too mad that I'd never have thought to pull out my camera at this time, okay? But that one thing is when he is deliberately disobedient. And the way that he does this most often, this is kind of crude, is by sticking his hand in his pants, okay? And not just in his pants, but in his diaper. And I don't know why little boys feel the need to do this or where this came from, where he learned to do this. But from the time that he was like nine months old, he would just regularly, just like hand goes in his pants. We're like, stop, why are you doing that? What is going on? And he'll even do it to the point where he'll stick his hand in his diaper and he'll come and find me and go, appa, appa, look, look what I'm doing. And I'll make an angry face. I'm like, stop, Grayson. And he'll like smile and run off, ha, 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 with his hand still in his pants. Now, there can be a point that's being made about how even though Grayson is cute and he's only two years old, that he's a sinner at heart and he's the grace of God. And I would agree with you 100% if that was your assessment here. But I realize that the degree to which his actions make me angry are not proportionate to the degree of his disobedience. 
And really, the reason why I get so angry is not because it's like rude for him to do that or um, because I'm just trying to teach him good manners or because it's going to endanger him in some way, but mostly because he's not meeting my expectations. And I know that if he did that in public and other people saw it, that that, in my mind, would reflect on me and it would embarrass me. And so because he's not doing what I expect him to do as my son, I get mad. And if we all think about it, honestly, most of the time when we get angry, it's because of unmet expectations in one way or another. Same goes in my relationship with my wife, with my brothers, with my dad, with my friends. Most often, I get angry because I didn't get my way. And Naaman was angry for that very reason. Things didn't go as he had expected. (laughs) Naaman came with very clear expectations about why and how he would be healed. And these things are made clear in verses 11 through 12. It says um, that the two main things that Naaman was angry about, one was that Elisha didn't come out to see him, but sent a servant instead. Think about this. The commander of this great military, this man who had risen to the top of his society, and was a society that was conquerors over Israel even. So he's in this foreign land that is lesser in his mind than what his own land is. And he comes to seek out this prophet, and the prophet doesn't even make the effort to come out and greet him himself. Instead, he sends out his servant and says, hey, can you go and deliver this message to this guy that's sitting on his horse outside my door? He thought, surely it matters that I'm the commander of the Syrian army, that I'm a man of power and of wealth. Look at all these goods that I've brought to be able to pay for whatever services you, this lowly prophet, may be able to offer me. The second way that his expectations weren't met was that Naaman thought that the healing would come by some magical hand-waving and some sincere calling on God. He had a very specific idea about exactly what this healing would look like, that there had to be some sort of showmanship, that the prophet would come and he would would do some sort of a ritual and have some sort of a potion and incantations and say, look, now you can be healed of this leprosy. And then it would all just disappear and he would go on his way. But Elisha's message to him was different. He says, go and bathe yourself. Wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman, at this time, must have been thinking, I didn't come all this way to take a bath, especially not some muddy river like the Jordan. Because if what I needed was a bath, if that's what was going to heal me, then the waters of Abana and Farpar in Syria would have served me much better because they're cleaner than this Jordan River is. They must have a better chance of having healing powers than this little river here in Israel. Now, I'm not a technological genius, but I can hold my own when I'm uh, troubleshooting things with technology. Um, And if you need proof, I can show you my collection of Apple products. Um, (laughs) But, you know, there are times where your stuff just stops working, uh, no matter what you try to do, no matter how much you may know, no matter how how many YouTube videos you watch, right? And so finally, um, when you come to the end of your own abilities, you call tech support. And then you spend about 15 minutes explaining to them what's wrong and what you think the problem is and what you've done to try to fix it and ask them if they can help you. And their response always goes a little something like this. They say, yes, thank you for explaining your situation to me. I'd be happy to help you. We'll do our best to get everything working the way that it should because we value you as a customer. Now, the first thing I want you to try 
is to ask you to turn off your phone by pressing and holding the power button down for about three to five seconds. And then when this bar appears at the top, you can swipe to the right and your phone will turn off. And then wait for about 15 seconds after your phone powers down and then you can turn your phone back on by holding that same power button down again. And when I hear them say that, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is going on here? Did you not ex- hear me like use all the technical jar- technological jargon and, and know what I'm talking about when I'm explaining to you what's going on with my phone? And you're going to sit here and tell me that you think the solution to this problem is going to be power cycling, that I need to turn it off and turn it back on, right? It doesn't matter what technology you're using these days. If it has an electric outlet or if it has a battery, that's always going to be their first go-to. It's like, did you try turning it off and turning it back on again? Like... Come on, man. Even though I may not have told you this earlier, I'm a millennial, okay? Like, I know what I'm doing here. And I'd imagine that for Naaman, this is a little bit of what he's feeling in response to Elisha. I came to you with leprosy, and you're going to go and tell me, take a bath. I don't think you're understanding the severity of my issue here. You haven't understood what kind of a man I am, what resources I have at my disposal, and none of that was able to solve this. How in the world do you think that taking a bath, even seven baths, in the Jordan River is going to fix this? I'd imagine that if I were Naaman, I'd be pretty angry too. He's basically being told, go and power cycle your body in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman was probably getting pretty frustrated at this point, thinking that I came all the way to Israel at the advice of this little servant girl. What was I thinking to have listened to her? What did she know? Look at how foolish this advice is from this prophet. He probably was frustrated thinking, doesn't anybody understand here that I have leprosy? You know that disease that's incurable, the one that rots away your body, the one that is not that easily fixed. Where is my special office team? Where are my experts in the field? Where is my spell or my potion or my medicine or the holy water that is going to do some miracle here? And Naaman's anger response to the prophet's words reveal that he was trusting more in the method than in God. And it also reveals that he still believed that his sickness was too great for God to be able to fix. And with that understanding, now we can go back and try to understand why Elisha did not go and see Naaman face to face, but rather sent his servant to deliver the message. Why was Elisha so rude to this man? Remember what we had said earlier about how God's goal in all this was not just to heal Naaman, but to bring Naaman to know who God is. And in order for that to happen, Naaman's false expectations needed to be corrected. He needed to be confronted with the fact that his imminent healing was not going to be because of how great and how valuable he was, but because of how gracious and good God is. It wasn't going to be because of his wealth and power, but because of the riches of God's mercy and power. In short, Naaman needed to have a smaller view of himself and his problem and a bigger view of God. So Naaman's angry and he's ready to, to leave Israel unhealed. He's already deemed this trip a failure. When for the third time in this story, a servant speaks up. And this time it's one of his own servants. And the servant says to him, 
My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, just wash and be cleansed? And by the grace of God, this simple argument convinces Naaman. So he goes to the Jordan and washes himself seven times, and voila, just as God had said, he's clean and his leprosy is gone. And I'd imagine that as he's washing, even as he goes out to the Jordan, he's probably not doing it with like, you know what, you're right, God really is good, and I am, I'm, I'm such a fool for trusting in these methods and not in God, and so let me go and do this in full faith. But he probably had more of an attitude of like, ah, fine, you know what, you're right, we came all the way here for this, and so how dumb would it be for me to not even try doing something so simple? So I'll just go ahead and wash. And as he washes, the leprosy becomes cured. Now, why is it that God uses these weak, simple, powerless things like bathing in the Jordan River or tapping on a rock or throwing a stone from a sling or prayer to work his powerful miracles? It's because all of those weak, insignificant things when they are used to work the power of God, show that the power lies not in the methods, but in the God who is making them effective. Jesus healed so many different people in so many different ways, and every story is unique. We can't pinpoint a particular way of healing. We can't pinpoint a particular way of conversion. Even just last week, we heard the stories of our, of our brothers and sisters who are baptized, and each one is so unique. There's no formula here. But the only universal law is that the only source of the healing is God himself. So Naaman and his men come back, this time not sitting on their high horse, literally, but walking on foot. And then Naaman says to Elisha, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Mission was accomplished. Naaman was healed. He had come to know that God is the only God in the world. So he praised him. So one remaining question here is, why this message on Graduation Sunday? Graduation is, at its core, a moment of transition. It's a time when we celebrate the successes of the recent past and dream about the endless possibilities for the upcoming future for all these young students that are here. And in these transitional periods in life, it's extra important for us to consider why we're doing the things that we do and what all the things that we're working toward will amount to. And so just like any good graduation speech, I have five pieces of advice for you. <laughs> five lessons we can learn from the story of Naaman, right? The first is, make it your primary goal in the next stage of life, whether you're going into junior high, high school, college, beyond. Those of you guys who are going to be parents soon, or getting married, or transition to a new job, no matter how young, how old, make it your primary goal in this next stage of life to know God. That's his biggest goal for you. That was the point of this story of Naaman, was not just healing physically, but for him to come to know God. Don't fight him on it. The second thing, this is don't forget that God is God and that you're not. 
A lot of you guys will go on to, great, to do great things. I know that a lot of you guys are super high achievers and you guys are very driven. And I have no doubt that you will succeed in the path that you guys take, right? But even when he had reached the pinnacle of everything that this world had to offer, it could all be taken away in an instant from Naaman because he was still just a man. Just like all of us, whether we become valedictorians or class presidents or famous musicians or agents of social change or influential politicians or pastors or missionaries, that no matter how high you climb in your particular sphere, that you are still just a man or woman and God is still God. The third is that God loves you because of who he is and because of who you are to him, not because of what you've accomplished or what you've done or who you are in the eyes of the world. The prophet Elisha didn't offer to heal Naaman because Naaman was so great and valuable and mighty and he was, the world couldn't afford to lose him. But it was because God had a heart that wanted to reach the Syrian commander. God loves you because of who he is and because of who you are to him and those things don't change. The fourth thing is that God works in the little and the ordinary things because that makes his name great. And it's those little things in life that make all the difference. We may think that our pastors constantly tell us to pray and to read our Bibles and what, what power is there in reading a book or in saying a couple of words with my eyes closed. But a lot of times it's in those simple things, the things that seem too ordinary them to have any power, that God is able to show his power. The last thing is that when we come to the end of ourselves, it gives God room to work. For every one of us, life is not going to be perfect. It's not going to be um, exactly the way that we thought it would be. And there will be thorny bushes, and there will be um, difficulties that lie ahead. And things will throw us off the track, and it will make us... um, at points, fall into despair and hopelessness. But remember that when we come to the end of ourselves, when we realize our humanity, our frailty, how broken we are, how little power we really have over our futures, that that is what brings us to God and gives him room to work in our lives. And so praise him, not just for the joys, but even for the struggles. So my hope for all of you Graduates, for those of you coming into Catalyst, we welcome you. So excited to have you guys. Those of you guys who are leaving Catalyst, we're sad to see you go. Um, but we're hopeful for your future. My hope for all of you is that not that you will live perfect, painless, failure-free life, because that's not the reality of the human condition. We may not all get leprosy, but we will all face some sort of leprosy that brings us to our knees. But it's through his leprosy that Naaman was able to find his greatest hope and come to know the Lord. It was through the voices of three servants that he was called to obedience. And it was through the work of a prophet in Samaria, not a king. It was in the Jordan and not in the Abana or Farpar. It was through bathing and not some extravagant religious display. My hope for all of you is that hardships, though the hardships are bound to come in this next season, that they will all work to give God more room to operate in our lives. That like Naaman, we might be able to find our greatest hope in the most unexpected places. Because that is what will show our God to be great.